0: It's Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. the show today besides my hair that is completely out of control. I forgot to steal Ramya Amuthun's hair gel this morning, so uh, bear with me with some wild hair, at least for the first segment of the show. Time has announced Naki Logics as one of the best inventions of 2023. Dave Segal tells you about their hands-free earbuds designed for people with disabilities. And... What marketing campaign has made an impression on you recently? Kevin Shaw will consider the effectiveness of nostalgic marketing. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours, including my ongoing conversation about Christmas. The tide of Christmas is lapping upon my shores, and I'm here trying to stand guard against it but I am probably failing in that battle. Let's start the show with the top story of the day. The federal government plans to build more than 2,800 homes on its properties in cities across the country. The Canada Lands Company will be using federal land. Procurement Minister Jean-Yves Duclos lays out the plan.
1: Canada Lands Company, through its agreements with developers, is enabling the construction of an additional 2,800 housing units by the end of March 2024 in a number of different communities. This includes housing projects in Calgary, Edmonton, St. John's and Ottawa, with a minimum of 300 set aside for affordable housing. Duclos
0: went a little bit deeper into the affordable housing side of the equation.
1: These are significant steps forward, but we know we need to do more. One way to do this is through Canada Land's new strategic plan, which now clearly sets a direction to enable a minimum of 20% affordable housing units when a municipality does not have a minimum requirement, making housing affordability a key priority. The Crown Corporation intends to
0: build more than 30,000 homes by 2029 yesterday on the show i gave you a sneak peek into the economic update in the province of quebec there were a couple really interesting clips from quebec finance minister eric Girard that i wanted to play for you first and foremost Girard says the province will be increasing certain tax credits and social benefits above the rate of inflation to help protect the purchasing power of Quebecers. So Girard says tax credits and benefits like the family allowance and welfare payments will rise by 5.08% on January the 1st. But this is where I think Girard really started talking about some interesting stuff. He offered a bit of perspective on the current economic landscape.
2: We're at the center of the difficulties. Inflation has come down but is still high. Interest rate went from zero to 5%. We have two wars. It's very
0: difficult right now. Girard went a bit further in talking about the overall economic picture. In spite of that, we're not in a recession
2: in a traditional sense where employment is falling, confidence
3: is plummeting, production is all thing. We are not witnessing the behavior that are associated with a recession,
0: but we're also not witnessing growth. I play those clips for you, because that's probably some of the most interesting and honest perspective I've heard from anybody talking about the economy over the course of the last nine months. Uh, You know I've been yammering on about the economy pretty much nonstop for the last year, about the possibility of a recession. But I just thought what Eric Girard said yesterday, what Minister Girard said, was just so on point and so— Thoughtful and nuanced. And that was only about 40 seconds of what he had to say. You can find the uh, full press conference on uh, YouTube. It was just really, really good. Uh, It's nice when politicians talk like humans and talk honestly and with nuance. And also, let's be clear, the notion of indexing uh, government supports like welfare or disability support uh, to rise above the rate of inflation— That's something that people have been calling for for years. So, you know, the the province of Quebec is uh, not a perfect provincial government, but definitely some interesting stuff coming out of that province yesterday. Normally, I would have saved that for the regional news, but I thought it was of national interest. Okay, one more story for you. A federal committee has released a report about the RCMP.
3: Jim Bronskill shares some of the findings. The National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians warns the key program has challenges – from weak governance and staff vacancies to poor data management that undermine its work. In a new report, the committee says federal policing is not as effective, efficient, flexible, or accountable as it needs to be to protect Canadians from the most significant threats. The report says the government should take a clear role in driving reforms to federal policing. Jim Bronskill, The Canadian Press, Ottawa.
0: That's your look at the news. To start the day, let's get to the daily polls. Let's have a little bit of chatter with Laura Bain and Alex Smythe. At Accessible Media on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. That's where you vote on the polls. Yesterday you were asked a pretty straightforward question. Do you have friends That you have met online. 80% of you said yes, 20% of you said no. Karen writes in, Love this response. Yes, I have a wonderful group of friends who I connected through a particular program. We chat online almost every day. And then uh, we don't have this uh, clipped, but someone replied to that tweet who uh, knows Karen and says, It's Disney people, isn't it? It's people that you talk to Disney about all the time. Uh, Loved that little response and interaction on Facebook. And John writes in, Yes, my band a great one. I didn't even consider that yesterday. If you're musically oriented and you play some instruments, join a band. That's a great way to make friends. Today's Daily Poll is about holiday decorations and the holiday season and my ongoing battle with holiday talk and Christmas lapping upon my shores. I'm asking you this question though, before I go off completely. When is it appropriate to put up holiday decorations? Before Halloween, before Remembrance Day, before December the 1st, or after December the 1st? Laura Bain, I don't mean to sound like a Grinch, but I feel like Christmas and the holiday season starts earlier and earlier and earlier every year. On November the 1st, I walked into my grocery store and all the Christmas stuff was out already. It's too early. It's too much. I'm not a Grinch. I love Christmas, but I can't do an eight-week lead-up to Christmas. December the 1st. Can we all just agree that December the 1st is the appropriate time for people to start doing holiday decorations? Or, or or maybe at least, maybe even like maybe put a distinguishment, if you like Christmas and you want to put your lights up, go wild as an individual. But can we at least like leave the capitalism and consumerism side of this till December the 1st? Please, Laura, please.
4: Um no oh <laughs> uh, yeah so on November first right after Halloween I actually said to my partner I was like oh we can start decorating for Christmas oh, no. now <laughs> Halloween is over <laughs> um so that's my preference I didn't have any Halloween decorations up but excited for Christmas now I will say after Remembrance Day I think is more respectful so for me November twelfth is the day to start decorating for Christmas and I just think it's so dark this time of year you know it's kind of tough to get through these short cold days and so mm, I'm all for mm. a little bit of uh, sparkle and lights and anything like that
0: you know I've had this conversation before that I feel like perhaps the window to keep Christmas decorations up could be longer like it's nice in January to have lights on the trees and have like downtown cores lit up a little bit but, but because the Christmas starts so early in November that maybe I've just like lost that taste for it in January I'll Alex, this came up at our post-show meeting a little bit mm-hmm. yesterday, and you did a really nice job of sort of distinguishing, well, what, like, Dave, are you talking about stores? Or are you talking about individuals? And I think that was a really reasonable point, and somebody's already echoed this in the comments section on the poll on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. It says, if, some, if it makes somebody happy, just do it. And I am trying to live by this life philosophy of... If people aren't hurting anybody and they're enjoying themselves and they like what they like, maybe I shouldn't be a Grinch about it. I shouldn't judge people for what they like. So I do think that maybe like that individual side, I'm, I'm going to calm down a little bit on, but I'm really upset when I walk into the pharmacy and the grocery store and Christmas has vomited everywhere.
5: Yeah. So for myself, I'm kind of along the same lines of where Laura landed, where I'm okay with it before December. Uh, But I like like the last week of November, like the second last like any once you get into like November 20th, 21st, 22nd, I'm fine with it starting to appear you're giving yourself a lead up for Christmas a month lead up I'm fine with that. Plus, you know, uh, there's also other celebrations like Hanukkah and things like that that happen throughout the month of December so you're uh, allowing enough time for people to get into that spirit as well. but yeah, like once it's November 1st, that's still too early for me. I mean, even sometimes you, you go into some of the places, it's even before Halloween, has started they're already <laughs> pushing for the, the Christmas stuff. Like, let's just keep it one holiday at a time. Uh, so I guess like going a bit off the board, it's almost like American Thanksgiving because that happens late November, once that happens once that that uh, day has passed then you start seeing all like the christmas specials and stuff on tv and that's really when like that countdown starts in my mind and that's when i i like to get started with it
0: i uh, i really do like that the sort of american thanksgiving day as sort of a jumping off point that 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 works for me too i mean you you know my thoughts on american thanksgiving any day that involves football starting at noon in the middle of the week like (laughs) i'm totally down with uh just before i I wrap this up i want to get both your perspective on this Alex, my observation is that it seems society is doing everything earlier now, right? Halloween started on Labor Day. Christmas started on November the 1st. Am I I off on saying that's changed or that's a more recent development? Have you maybe observed that that evolution over the last couple of years where it seems everything seems to start earlier? Like even the, the pumpkin spice lattes at Starbucks were like out in early August this year.
5: Yeah, I, I think there's there's certainly a push towards that because, you know, companies, corporations, they want to rake in as much as they, they can. And in that kind of, as, as you're going to get into with Kevin Shaw later, a bit of that nostalgia, even though it's a more recent nostalgia, it's a nostalgia of a holiday. So I, I think there's a bit of that reaching. It's like, well, if we can be the first on the market, well, then, you know, we can we can capture the really mm, eager people mm. who want to, to start celebrating right away. So yeah, I, I've noticed it certainly that, it seems like those windows are growing, but I, I find as soon as the holiday's done, then it's on to the next one. There's not that lingering post Halloween, post Christmas that you really uh, used to see a bit more. That would be at a stretch of a week. It's like, nope, the day's done. On to the next one.
0: Yeah, I like, I like the afterglow though. That's the thing. When you when you, when you start the run up too soon, you eliminate my joy of the afterglow. Laura, what do you think? Am I, am I off base here with my observation that it seems that everything is starting a couple weeks earlier than it used to?
4: Yeah, I'm all for the Christmas window being November 1st to February 1st, for sure. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Uh, I feel like I, I just don't, maybe I don't pay enough attention to that. I, I do agree with you on the consumerism. And I think it's unfortunate that people always feel that pressure to buy and replace things rather than, you know, dig things out of their basement or, or attic. Um, I, I also feel like maybe since I was a kid, people have been saying that, Christmas starts earlier oh, okay. every year. So oh no! Oh no! I don't know if it's uh, <laughs> just uh, your perspective or if it is actually shifting. I, I did notice the pumpkin spice latte thing though as well.
0: <laughs> oh no! I'm becoming the old man that yells in clouds. This is not good. This is not ideal. I'm becoming an old man <laughs> oh so quickly that I'm now doing the old man takes of Christmas starts too soon. <laughs> oh man, more material for me to uh, hash out this afternoon. Okay, if you want to vote on the poll, at accessible media on Twitter at. Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also send emails, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone, one 509 4545 That's 1-866-509-4545. Coming up next, Time has named NACI Logics as one of the best inventions of 2023. Dave Siegel tells you all about their hands-free earbuds designed for people with disabilities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and streaming in beautiful audio at AMIplus.ca. If you listen at AMIplus.ca, you can't experience my hair that is absolutely out of control. A little bit of spiking going on here. I've got a little horn sticking up in the middle of my head. I'll talk to you in two minutes. it's now with Dave Brown on ami TV let's talk a little bit about technology a new pair of earbuds is taking assistive technology to another level it's developed by naki logics users can control a wide range of devices through subtle movements and gestures Time magazine, called it one of the best inventions of 2023. Dave Siegel is here to tell you more. Dave is the chief innovation officer for Naki Logics. Hey, Dave, thank you for making a little bit of time this morning.
3: Oh, Dave, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So a couple of Daves cutting it up here, having
0: a conversation. What inspired you to create these line of earbuds? What's some of the backstory here?
3: I think one of my earliest inspirations is a friend of mine that I have, uh, his name's Keith. He's probably what one would consider a more severe quadriplegic. Uh, when he was 18, he broke his neck and his pelvic bone. At senior week, uh, fell off a roof and uh, shattered his pelvic bone so bad that it, even if he sits upright and gets strapped to a chair, he gets such an immense pain response uh, that he can only be out of bed, really, for, I'd say, about 20 minutes for each meal, so three times a day. So uh, he's been there for about 32, 33 years, so he lays in bed prone face down, they've cut a hole in his mattress so he could breathe, almost like a massage chair in a way, uh, where he could see media and TV. Uh, And uh, he told me that, hey, Dave, you're one of the last stops before I opt for one of these brain implants. And uh, I took that as a very, very powerful motivator to help not only improve the life of of, uh, Keith, but for millions around uh, the world like him that suffer from uh, quadriplegia and other uh, uh, challenges so going a little bit
0: deeper into the earbuds how would a user end up uh, using them what's the user experience like
3: well the user experience is it almost functions as any other pair of traditional smart earbuds with the exception of it scans and looks for different electrical signals of your head and face so if you were to uh, raise your eye or flex your jaw it creates an electrical response for that particular gesture We use those electrical signals then to detect that. Almost like if you say "Hey Siri" or "Hey Google" or "Alexa," uh, what that does is detects a signal and pulls the user into what we call our invisible user interface, which I think could be best described as almost an invisible Rubik's cube in a way, where every small cube that makes up the Rubik's cube is like very similar utility as an icon. Uh, From there, you could either do another gesture, uh, or tilt your head, or blink an eye. It selects that particular cube, and that. A particular cube can have X number of, per, you know, procedures, functions, executions, API code into surrounding devices. Uh, and one of those, by the way, is PC control. So I knew I wanted to create a whole new type of neural interface that would allow somebody to not only use a computer, because that's been done before, but be productive. Mm. Uh, and currently, uh, a user when they when they select that particular function has a full command and control of a PC Windows browsing the internet, typing natively uh, up to, I'd say, 45 characters per minute natively with you know no predictive texting logic. And when you have predictive word selections, it's quite a bit faster and the ability to play contemporary games. And I saw that you're showing the video here uh, of me flying a, a simulated Boeing 737 in a top tier flight simulator, because I thought while well, competitive neural Uh, technologies were demonstrating the ability, you know, to make a Twitter post or to play games like Pong, we wanted to set an entirely new bar uh, for the world. And I, you know, I get asked all the time, well, why fly a 737 with a neural earbud? What's the point? And my point is, if I can control a simulated Boeing 737 and a top-tier flight simulator, suffice it to say all of your listeners can control absolutely anything. It's the ultimate equalizer.
0: I mean, that is really impressive. You're literally shooting for the sky with that one. There's there's no doubt uh, in terms of using that kind of maximum case. I I wanna backtrack a little smidge here, and apologies if this is getting a little too deep in the weeds. Uh, I'm a little bit of a Luddite sometimes. How much uh, control does the user have over customization to sort of pick what gesture will do what?
3: Well, that was one of my primary concerns, because if we were to release a technology that somebody had to hire a technologist to set up, we failed. So we have a core piece of software called Naki Hub that allows you to configure that so-called invisible Rubik's Cube. And we set it up in a way where we provide a menu of predefined functions Uh, A user can click and drag a particular function on top of any particular cell. And then from there, they get a pop-up to define whatever it is they need or whatever action that they want to define. So it's a code-free environment, click and drag. Um, So uh, I think the learning curve of this, if somebody has, I'd say anywhere from, uh, anywhere high beginner to intermediate uh, computer uh, skills, they should be able to get running with everything, I'd say within an hour for sure. I,
0: I want to come back to you and your process. What was the development process go, going through this, developing these earbuds? What was this like for you and your team? What what does that process look
3: like? What technologies are you leveraging? Well, it's a, it's a fusion of a number of different technologies. Uh, my background really spawned from uh, brain-computer interface science. Uh, and for the listeners that are familiar with that, most of uh, the projects or technologies that come out of that have to do with moo rhythms that were, originate from the motor cortex. And those particular brain waves are in charge of imagined movement. So I would just say if somebody has a bottle of water in front of them or a cup of coffee this morning, and if you stare at it and try to move it with your mind, you know, if we had you all strapped up uh, to uh, various EEG sensors with some bio training, we can extrapolate. You know, almost like if you're Skywalker in the Dagobah swamps, where you're trying to telekinesis that cup uh, of coffee. I realized early on that uh, it wasn't universal. So, in order to create a universal approach, we built in an IMU. So instead of imagining particular directions, we microgesturally pick them up. And what that means is just the slightest facial uh, uh, tilt to the left, tilt to the right, you know, up, down, and then. Very slight head rolls to the left and right, so small sometimes that it's almost unnoticeable to those around us. Secondly, we had to place uh, biosensors that could pick up EEG and EMG at very sp- specific parts of the ear uh, that would fit most of society. And that was an industrial design challenge that was. Uh, It was quite heavy. And I'm so proud of the team to get to the point uh, where we've identified a design that does fit uh, most of society. And lastly, uh, we even have an inner ear air pressure sensor to detect changes in your inner ear that uh occur when users are performing these subtle micro uh micro gestures so you really have to fall into a rabbit hole to start using inner ear air pressure to control devices but we use a combination and a blend uh, of all of that
0: the earbuds the Naki earbuds are not quite available on the market just yet what's the timeline
3: before uh, customers can get their hands on them well it's it, it should be definitely this coming year uh we're trying so hard by the way as a startup and if Any of your listeners are entrepreneurs, they would understand this, that we're trying to minimize risk. We currently have 23 patents around the world for the technology. And it's our first strategy, I would say, to partner uh, with major head-based wearable uh, OEMs and manufacturers Mm -hmm. to license this technology to all the global smart earbud manufacturers. And that way, an entire market becomes accessible and inclusive. Built this into the footprint of a smart earbud It could really be built into any head-based wearable. One of the biggest 800-pound gorillas, I I would say, uh, within the accessibility market, is AR, VR, MR, XR, all these augmented reality virtual reality headsets. None of them really provide any kind of, in my personal opinion, acceptable experience for those who have limited to no mobility below the neck uh, because they all require hand controllers, and voice recognition does not navigate you properly through... Uh, a virtual reality uh, experience. I think what we've built uh, will do that. And I think, again, uh, it'll be the ultimate uh, uh, equalizer, per se, within that market.
0: Dave, I can tell that you and your colleagues are putting a lot of brain power and a lot of passion into this. You just mentioned the augmented reality and virtual reality and maybe some of the mix in between that's going to exist and really continue to emerge here over the course of the next decade. How hopeful are you about that space? What do you, how, I, I should even phrase this differently. How do you perceive that space and technolo- technological development in that space moving forward uh, for users as it becomes more commonplace? Because obviously, you have found a niche here in regards to accessibility, even what I would call sort of the biomedical uh, space. How, how do you perceive the overall industry when it comes to HR, uh, AR, VR, MR, take your pick?
3: Oh, that's a great question. And first of all, um, we have found a niche within accessibility and inclusive uh, inclusivity. However, that's only because we want to help those who need help First and foremost, you know, by helping my friend Keith control a computer, I would say efficiently with productivity. By default, I think we create a neural interface for the rest of humanity that could be applied to uh, AR, VR, uh, XR, uh, possibly esports, gaming, the ability to shoot where you're looking while playing Call of Duty. So my nephew can't just knife me. Uh, every single time (laughs) it's going to be the ultimate uh leveling or ultimate equalizer for for adults who want to play games who get uh just dominated by kids so my feelings with ar vr sector by the way i think there's huge promise there some of the challenges i think uh, are that of any head-based wearable as far as the user experience uh also what Many of your listeners might experience within the accessibility market, uh, it it comes up all the time within industrial settings with AR. For instance, if you're climbing a a smokestack somewhere, you're in a a very heavy industrial area where you're wearing protective gloves, possibly protective gear, you might be near a wind turbine or something uh, of the like, it's super hard to poke, prod, swipe, Uh, AR glasses frames and impossible to hold hand controllers for mixed reality and things of that nature. And I think for those types of environments, we provide quite an elegant solution. So therefore, uh, I think the utility of those entire sectors uh, could only widen. Dave, this has been a fantastic conversation. Congratulations
0: on the recognition and success so far with Naki. Best of luck here, uh, getting to market and finding these partnerships. And uh, stay in touch. Keep us posted. I'd love to catch up with you You'll again do. down the road. Thank you so much for having me. That's Dave Siegel, Chief Innovation Officer at Naki Logics. For more information, you can visit nakilogics.com. I'm going to spell that out for you. It's N A Q I. L-O-G-I-X dot com. com, N-A-Q-I-L-O-G-I-X dot com. Coming up after the break, Michael McNeely. Oh, no, we're doing the weather here? Okay, my apologies. My apologies. Uh, Coming up in 60 seconds, Alex Smythe is going to have the weather story of the day. In fact, I'm so rattled, let's just bring in Alex right now for the weather story. (laughs) <laughs> Dave Brown can't keep track of his own script. Uh, Alex Smythe, what's going on in the weather world?
5: Dave, you just had a great conversation, so you're, you're so enamored by it. So, for weather, let I was talking yesterday about a system moving into Ontario, bringing soggy weather. Today, we're looking at the prairies, and specifically last night and yesterday, there was a system starting. It brought that freezing rain, those wet, soggy conditions In the evening that turned into snow so parts of Manitoba especially in the southern region around Winnipeg saw upwards of 15 centimeters of snow. While that system is continuing to move through that region so Saskatchewan and Manitoba are both experiencing some light snow this morning as it makes its way through and so. It will be moving through today. The positive thing is for the region like Winnipeg, Regina, Saskatoon, you're going to be experiencing a nice bright sunny start in um, uh, weekend uh, conditions. So there'll be lots of sunshine to enjoy, warmer weather, but that means a system as it continues to move eastward will start to impact Ottawa, the central eastern parts of Ontario as the week moves on. Luckily, in the GTA, we're set to
0: avoid it, so we'll be sunny conditions near us as well, Dave. Uh, always got to bring in that GTA thing, got to brag <laughs> to the rest of the country. Okay, now I can tell you what's coming up after the break. The Kane Mutiny Court Martial is a legal drama that you can find on Paramount Plus, and you can find entertainment critic Michael McNeely with a review in just about two minutes. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. The Kane Mutiny Court Martial is new this month on Paramount Plus. The film is a legal drama. It's been adapted a couple of times from a book. Once as a play in 1953, and then again as a film in 1954. The latest adaptation stars Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Clark. Michael McNeely is an entertainment critic, and he has thoughts on the new film. Michael is in Studio 7, right next to me, alongside his intervener, Jill. Hey, good morning, Michael. Great to chat with you once again. Thank you for having me. So, Michael, set up the story here. What is the premise
2: of the film? I'm going to try and do it in five sentences or less. There's a captain of a ship. His name is Commander Quig, and he's a veteran. he's well-respected, and he's been here for a long time. Ultimately, however, in a mission near the coast of Turkey— on the mind-sweeping vessel, the USS Kane, he starts to display some erratic behavior. And ultimately, Lieutenant Moig decides to take over. And that's what we call in the Navy a mutiny or just a bad idea. Perhaps that's what the issue is all about. Was Lieutenant Moig justified and taken over, or should it just have left?
0: Um, Commander Quigg, although— What are some of the bigger themes present in the Cane Mutiny? One of the biggest themes
2: is the respect and adherence to the chain of command, especially in the military and in the Navy. So, I have a friend who actually helps run the cadets every year, and he mentioned that they really reinforce the importance of following authority at least 80 percent of the time. So, here is an incident where Lieutenant Moig is not doing that, because he fears for the safety of the ship, and he sees that the captain is acting erratically. So that's why there's the legal drama aspect, because that's the court-martial that happens in the Navy headquarters. In the 1954 version, mutiny was punishable by death. But in 2023, mutiny is punishable by 15 years of prison time. Both of those are bad. And so, it's really important to consider all the options available before perhaps executing a mutiny.
0: What did the film get you thinking about in regards to mental health and mental wellness? This is a good question,
2: because we face it in a lot of different careers, especially when you get into positions of power. For example, we have a lot of conversations about President Biden's uh, mental health. And in cases like this, we would wonder if our commanders are, quote, fit to serve. Mm. And that means they've usually signed a declaration. That means they don't have any mental illnesses, or they've passed, a, they've passed a battery of psychological tests. I think in the movie 2023, it's mentioned that Kiefer Sutherland's character, who is the captain, has done about four weeks of psychological tests. I can't even imagine what that's like. So, the question here is interesting, because it doesn't mean that we're discriminating on the basis of mental health. Was as a protected ground in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms under Disability, if we say it is mentally unfit to serve. At the same time, we look up to our leaders, and we look up to, you know, expectations of able-bodiedness. So, what would that mean if we didn't have those expectations to look up to anymore? So it's a really interesting question. Of course, the film can't address all of that. but. It does address some interesting aspects of ignorance of mental health. For example, a lawyer who is trying to defend uh, Commander Quigg asks the question, was Commander Quigg waving his arms around? Was he foaming at the mouth? Those are stereotypical assertions of mental health. And of course, most people don't
0: even do those two things. You did more than just watch the latest adaptation of the film. You went way back in time here and watched the original Kane Mutiny from 1954. What was the main difference you observed between the two different films? The
2: main difference is that the Kane Mutiny in 1954 surprisingly was able to show what happened on the boat. 2023, just takes place in a naval building. So, the 1954 version has the boat scenes, which are great to watch. You get to see the captain acting erratically, and there are some crazy moments, um, just like his obsession with how many strawberries are left after the crew has eaten them. And interestingly enough, in both movies— there's a there's an issue with the foam screening that the captain was not invited to, so he has a hissy fit about it, and in 2023, he disables all the all the crew's Wi-Fi, which I was thinking, okay, fine, that's kind of equivalent to the punishment that yeah, they had that in is. 1954, so basically, you have got the crew, we've got the. The sailors complaining about how they can't access their Twitter and their Facebook, which is weird, but whatever. And uh, it's just things like that, small changes that they've modernized. In 1954, they were talking about World War II. In 2023, they're talking about something happening near Turkey and Syria, Mm. which is more, you know, relevant for our times. But I still think there's something lost if you don't talk about World War II. But then at the same time, it wouldn't have as many people of color or women participated in the story. So it's a tough one, because if you think about the magic of plays, you can cast anybody you want. But when you start to talk about movies, you're bound by some sort of degree of realism.
0: Mm. So it's tough to, to draw a line between the two. It it boils down to stylistic choices. And even the choice to show the actions on the boat in linear time before the trial is a different stylistic choice than just showing the trial, like in the 2023 version. Which of those stylistic choices appealed to you more? It's
2: a tough question to answer, because both of them have their pros. For example, I— I was thinking about the scenes that I saw in 1954, when I was listening to the testimony in 2023. So it Mm, mm. was—I kind of cheated there a bit. But I would not want to deprive anyone of missing out on Humphrey Bogart's performance as Captain (laughs) Craig. But Kiefer Sutherland is a national treasure we have to embrace him. And in all fairness, he's not trying to replace Halfway Bogart. Nobody in their right mind would do that. It's just two different interpretations of the same person. And that's why we have the play—we have the play so that if a community theatre, can choose to put it on every year. And every year, they'll have a different person playing the actor. And you don't say, well, this person is replacing the other person. Mm. No, we just say, oh, it's this person's turn to do it. So I think that's where it's coming at. And so, I was happy I had this opportunity to engage with the material more because Mm. the material is complex, it's dense, and, you know, it asks a lot of
0: good questions. Normally I ask you, would you recommend the movie? But in this case, there's two pieces of source material. Would you recommend either or both, or none of the above? I think it's up to the viewer
2: to decide if they would like to have The scenes played out for them, in the 1954 version, to see Humphrey Bogart, who is also, if not a national treasure, a world treasure. And if you're okay with the play, if you're okay with talking heads, for lack of a better phrase, then go for 2023. 2023, however, is special, because it has Lance Reddick's last rule, and it's also the director's last, um, last movie. Oh, wow. And he duet did Exorcist, Mrs. is why this is coming close to Halloween, but it's definitely not a Halloween movie. William Friedkin passed away just before Lance Reddick did. So, this movie is more or less surrounded oh, wow. by ghosts. But they are very good ghosts at that. Michael, thank you for this. Have a great day. You too. And I think it's important that we keep remembering what— mental health means to all of us, and don't we work hard to make sure that everyone does well.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's entertainment critic Michael McNeely. The Kane Mutiny Court Martial is available to stream on Paramount+, Plus, but you can also find it on demand on Apple TV or Google Play, and you can find Michael on Twitter at Michael D. McNeely. McNeely is spelt with two E's, M-C-N-E-E-L-Y. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back, it's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Just a reminder about the Daily Poll, It's all about the holiday season and holiday decorations. You're being asked at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, when is it appropriate to put up holiday decorations? Is it before Halloween, before Remembrance Day, before December the 1st, or after December the 1st? The reality is, there's no fighting it. The holiday season is on the horizon, and that means craft markets. Oh, so many craft markets. They'll be taking over parts of Montreal over the course of the next two months. And community reporter Shiny Saravanamuthu has the lowdown. Hey, good morning, Shiny.
6: Good morning. How are you?
0: (laughs) Shiny, I'm great. I think I know the answer to this question. Of course you you do. (laughs) Because you've talked about this before. But how come you get so excited for Christmas?
6: I think... It's funny because i'm hindu i'm not even i didn't even grow up celebrating it <laughs> religiously i think it's just my parents just moved here they immersed us into the holiday my birthday is also in december and i just feel like maybe i knew from a young age that i enjoyed lights maybe because of my vision loss i always enjoyed christmas because i felt like it was brighter and nicer and more inviting and i just enjoyed all the family time and All of our birthdays are always in December. There's always one per person and everyone just was around the holiday season. And Mm. I've grown up to love it and also a Disney fanatic. So I think it all just comes together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely something sensory about it, right? Christmas lights, I'm I'm in a similar position. Even though I'm legally blind, I love Christmas lights because it's not about specificity. It's about just color and vibrancy. Yeah, exactly. But but there's more to it. Like somebody has already gotten involved here in the comment section on the Facebook post at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook and they pointed out the smell of real trees and i thought yeah. to myself oh yeah i do like that smell like that's a yeah. great smell and even some of the holiday music i can get down with some of the holiday music i do feel like though it maybe starts a little early like, like I, it's just happening yeah. too fast
6: yeah yeah 100 yeah. i think christmas music can start around like december 1st and then you won't get sick of it i feel like if you that's... start it off in november 1st it just It becomes like you don't even hear it anymore at that point.
0: You're going to wear me down. You're (laughs) going to wear me down with the Bing Crosby. Okay, Shiny, (laughs) let's talk about some of these markets. Uh, Starting a bit closer to you on the West Island, what's going on with the Dollar Desorme, the DDO Fine Arts and Craft Market?
6: So I'm actually sad I missed it last year. Uh, So this year, it's actually happening this weekend on uh, the 11th and the 12th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the DDO Civic Center. So for anyone that lives in Dollar des Zormo, West Island, it's like the main hub of DDO where everyone goes to play hockey. They have the library there, so it's going to be that main hub there. Uh, It's actually going to take up all three floors of that building. And um, I didn't know this, but they have a rooftop there, a heated rooftop at the Civic Center, which they'll actually transform into an area for this weekend where you can go get some beverages, some food, and kind of enjoy the ambiance of a holiday terrace uh restaurant kind of a vibe
0: you know shiny so. that, that that's very uh montreal taking a craft market <laughs> yeah. and turning it into a party
6: yeah i know at the time like and it's so close to home and i'm like you know what let's just go try it out and like this is a great way to support local west island businesses and uh get some uh unique gifts for your loved ones that not going to be on a a retail shelf you know
0: Mm. like shiny said the fine arts and craft market runs november 11th and 12th at the dollard center for the arts and for more information you can call 514-684-7414 that's 514-684-7414 okay shiny Forget the West Island. The Great (laughs) Montreal Christmas Market kicks off downtown in a couple of weeks. What are they Mm -hmm. putting on offer with the Great Montreal Christmas Market?
6: This one is nice because, like, it's downtown. I know not everyone lives downtown, especially when you're having kids. You're probably living in the West Island or whatnot. So commuting is probably not the most ideal, but it is something you want to check out because it does get you into the holiday spirit. They have... not just the 65 plus vendors that they have in these cute little like house huts where you can go and shop um you actually can have caroling there's karaoke they even have cooking classes this year so and they're all free so like it's a great way to get out of the house with your family and kind of get into the holiday spirit and you know immerse yourself in the holiday stuff and do some shopping and for the adults get some mauled wine and for the kids get some hot cocoa.
0: <laughs> you know i i think you hit the nail on the head a little bit little bit right there shiny yeah. it's not just sort of your standard market they kind of transform part of the quartier de spectacle like mm-hmm. like they, they actually sort of transform the middle of the downtown core yeah. into christmas
6: yeah and it's the cool thing is like even if you don't know it's there and you happen to be downtown you're gonna come across it somehow by facing into that main area of downtown so it's kind of nice like you can accidentally stumble upon it or like me purposely go to this market
0: <laughs> hey uh it, it, it's a pretty it, it is a pretty hectic part of d- the downtown core like yeah. when i say it's the middle like it pretty much is the middle of the downtown yeah. core what are some accessibility recommendations or considerations uh that you would put up to someone who maybe doesn't spend that much time in downtown montreal maybe, maybe they're doing what i'm doing maybe they're visiting for a weekend in a couple yeah. of weeks uh i i know what to do in that part of the downtown core it's just yeah. not not go to it <laughs> but, what, <laughs> but but, what? <laughs> but yeah. what are some of the accessibility uh considerations well, that, that you
6: doesn't recommend help us in, the, in in the fact of us wanting to go there um so <laughs> me and my husband we don't we never drive downtown we'll uh park somewhere and take the metro uh it's just easier because finding parking uh just is more accessible in that sense uh you kind of just get dropped off closer to the market Place des Arts metro and you kind of just walk and usually around the time that the market is happening it's not too too cold outside yet so it's kind of a nice little walk you get your steps in and kind of walk by and see what else is happening so i 100 recommend taking the metro um metro bus uh do not recommend driving there because you won't find parking and if you do it's probably gonna cost you 30 so let's not
0: do it <laughs> <Yeah>. cars <laughs> in the downtown core just uh, yeah. don't jive don't fly these days hey shiny yeah. thank you for this always appreciate catching up have a lovely no. day and uh you we'll too. catch up a few more times between between now and christmas Yes, of course, for more Christmas (laughs) stuff. (laughs) So if you're at all interested in the great uh, Christmas market in Montreal, it's on St. Catherine Street between the Balmoral and Clark. And for more information, you can visit noelmontreal.ca. I know I kind of franglade that. Noel is N-O. E-L, that's Christmas in French, and then Montreal is spelt Montreal.ca, so NoëlMontréal.ca, and it runs from November the 25th until December the 30th. Oh, you see, darn it, I'm just going to miss it. That weekend I'm in Montreal, it starts after I'm there. Too bad. How will I ever survive? <laughs> and that's Shiny Serevanamuthu, community reporter in Montreal. In 60 seconds, the entertainment report also has a little bit of a Christmas vibe to it. Laura Bain is talking lawsuits and Mariah Carey. But first, Elon Musk has developed his own AI chatbot. Mike Dubusky tells you about it in Tech Trends.
7: Elon Musk is no stranger to artificial intelligence, being an early investor in OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT. But he's since split with that company to start his own AI firm, which is out with a new product. Mashable tech reporter Matt Binder says it's called Grok AI. The end user product is essentially
1: like a ChatGPT chatbot.
7: He says it works just like any other AI
1: chatbot. It's strictly taking data it finds elsewhere and putting it together in sentences, that look like it could have been written or spoken by a human. But Musk says
7: Grok AI has fewer guardrails than its competitors and is meant to have a rebellious personality.
1: Elon Musk did use a screenshot of uh, Grok AI uh, sarcastically telling a user how to make drugs as a way to show how Grok AI will answer anything.
0: With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dabusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Laura Bain, even the Entertainment Report today has a little bit of a holiday hook to it
4: i know i'm sorry dave i've got another another christmas themed (laughs) story here so yes mariah carey is being sued again over allegations that she ripped off the christmas anthem all i want for christmas is you from a song by vince vance and the Valiants of the same name so also called all i want for christmas is you andy stone aka vince vance Tried to sue Carey last summer, but then ended up withdrawing the lawsuit, and now he is back, and he's backed by the same law firm, actually, that was involved in the litigations against Taylor Swift over Shake It Off, which were dropped last year. I believe there may have been a settlement involved in that case.
0: Uh, the lawyers uh, know how to keep busy. There's no doubt about it. Okay, Laura, let's play Lawyer this morning. There's a couple clips here to play so we can do our own mm-hmm. comparison and contrast. So here's a clip of All I Want for Christmas is You by Vince Vance and the Valiants. Said I
8: can't bring me.
0: Very 1980s vibe there with the saxophone solo, love that. Okay, and in comparison, here's a clip from Mariah Carey's song. Laura even though I have a little bit of a grinch thing uh, that song always makes me bounce last year around Christmas time uh, they played it at the bar that I hang out at and a bunch of the regulars were at a table together and we all started singing along so I am not I am not immune to being uh, struck by the Christmas spirit and that song is one of the things that always gets me but Laura let's play lawyer what do you think do you see the crossover here you think you think uh, Vince Valiant uh, has a
4: case I mean, I'm certainly no expert on the ins and outs of copyright infringement law. I think the songs, to me, they sound quite different, um, but they are thematically similar. And that was one of the kind of allegations is that it, it you know, copied this idea of uh, like compare, comparing a loved one to the trappings of Christmas. And, um, you know, I I don't know. I Sometimes, you know, these ideas are just sort of out there in the ether as well, like... What do you think?
0: I I, I don't see. I, by the way, I listened to both these songs in full because I wanted to. I wanted to really get a sense and a vibe for this, for mm-hmm. how much crossover there is beyond just the main hook, and there really isn't that much crossover beyond just the singular line of "All I Want for Christmas Is You." I, I, I yeah. think I think it's I, I would say for with with my uh, legal my non-existent legal degree it, it it's a pretty flimsy case but I can understand why an artist would say well I already named my song this I had this idea and now this is every year the number one streamed Christmas spot uh, song on uh, Apple Music and Spotify so, so I get it like, like I, I get why somebody would be a little bit cranky but having listened to both songs I really didn't note the cr- the significant substantive crossover
4: yeah I kind of felt the same way I mean I had both uh lyrics up in different windows and I was going back and forth and I did get a little bit turned around there's mentions of mistletoe and stockings and different things and I (laughs) thought oh wait which one am I looking at again but I mean those are all pretty common things that are in Christmas songs so uh yeah I'm sort of on the I'm sort of in agreement with you but yeah it is one of the best-selling songs of all time actually so I can certainly understand wanting a Wanting a piece of that, perhaps, or maybe having it rub a little bit the wrong way. But uh, what do you think? Does it change your uh, feelings about songs like this when cases are successful? Well, Will you still be belting this song out if you find <laughs> out that uh, the experts have ruled no, it is. Uh, it has been uh Ripped
0: off? I, I don't think it'll influence my my feeling too much because uh, you mentioned the, the "Shake It Off" uh, lawsuit. There was also mm-hmm. there was also one uh, brought against uh, "Stairway to Heaven" by Led Zeppelin a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. It it doesn't change how I feel about those songs. Those songs uh, still appeal to me. Uh, maybe it ends up becoming a little piece of fun bar trivia, though, right? That like when the song plays yep. at the bar, it gives you a little talking point to bring to the table and say, "Hey, did you know? Did you hear about this lawsuit? Blah blah blah." but I don't think it actually changes my perception of the art
4: for sure. And I think that intent can matter. And sometimes these songs have kind of unintentionally been, um, you know these as i say these things are just out in the ether out there in the zeitgeist and you know that's what art does it kind of builds off um life <laughs> so to speak so for me no it's just sort of a note in the uh, credits but i i would be open to it if i learned that there was like a song that had been ripped off with malicious intent then maybe i would feel differently
0: yeah at, at the end of the day uh, in western music there are only so many notes and chords and progressions and unless we're going to listen to a lot of john glass and atonal music uh, there's uh-huh. going to there's bound to be some crossover <laughs> and i definitely do not recommend listening to atonal music
4: i can't speak to that okay. take your word <laughs>
0: fair enough laura thank you for this have a lovely day you as well <laughs> that's laura bain with the entertainment report coming up after the break the province of british columbia is seeing a attempt to crack down on financial fraud I'll have that story in the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in beautiful, crystal-clear streaming audio at AMIplus.ca. The gang at AMIplus.ca might have gotten a little uh, behind-the-scenes treat during the commercial break. A little bonus Dave Brown coverage. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, what are the marketing campaigns that... Get your wheels turning and maybe your dollars spending. Kevin Shaw considers the effectiveness of how companies are using nostalgia in their marketing. And Microsoft is incorporating an integrated assistant called Copilot into Windows 11. Marco Pasco and Elizabeth Moeller will weigh in with some thoughts on the new feature and artificial intelligence some of the broader prospects don't worry the conversation is not singularly about ai i ensured that there is also going to be conversation of infrastructure and christmas in that topic got to talk about christmas (laughs) you've also got to start the hour with the regional news updates Beginning in British Columbia, the BC Securities Commission says it will start paying people who provide information about investment fraud and other market misconducts. The Securities Commission whistleblower awards will range from $1,000 to $250,000. The awarded amount depends on how quickly the information is provided, how it contributes to the enforcement outcome, and the seriousness of of the offenses, the commission will use an online portal to receive tips. Over to the prairies, the Alberta government is set, having most problems over here, the Alberta government is set to release its plan to reorganize the healthcare system. The role of Alberta Health Services is expected to change. AHS will run hospitals, but not the broader system. Other agencies will be created to operate other areas of the system. Premier Danielle Smith feels this should be more efficient.
6: Canada. I I think that uh, that focus is going to allow them to continue to improve. We're supportive of all of our service delivery providers.
0: Opposition leader Rachel Notley thinks something is missing from the plan.
9: You know, the UCP's health care demolition plan has not even one mention of hiring more doctors, more nurses, or frankly, any more frontline health care professionals.
0: And over to the Atlantic region, the premiers of Newfoundland and Labrador and British Columbia signed an agreement to work together on developing their green hydrogen sectors. Newfoundland and Labrador premier Andrew Fury says the coastal provinces have different markets for green hydrogen and are not in competition with each other's. So the two provinces will share information about processes and policies in order to help one another build a green hydrogen economy. Imagine that. Provinces working together. What a concept. Let's go from the world of regional news to the world of sports. Let's chat with Brock Richardson. Let's set up some action around the National Hockey League last night. Three Canadian teams in action. The Winnipeg Jets painted the St. Louis Blues 5-2. to Jets forward Kyle Connor scored twice in the win. The Calgary Flames had a nice little win of their own. They scored three goals in the third period en route to a 4-2 victory over the Nashville Predators. Blake Coleman scored the game winner. Here's the call on Sportsnet 960
3: on back to get it. Referee gets in his way, but he'll bank it off the boards. Up the far side. De Simone sends it to center. Kadri springs Coleman. We've got a two-on-one. Coleman shoots and scores.
0: Feeling that energy i love me a goal horn and finally tampa bay the tampa bay lightning struck the montreal canadians five to three the canadians gave up four goals in the first period so that game was over before it even started okay brock nhl observations one at a time the jets
1: beat the blues what's your observation from that game so i would tell you that <laughs> a connor halibut goaltender for the winnipeg jets better thank his uh Defense because last night he was caught out of position a little bit and his defense bailed him out. I will also say that uh, Neil Pionk came back into the lineup after one game after his friend Adam Johnson's funeral. Adam Johnson was the individual who was uh, from Pittsburgh who sadly got uh, uh, a skate blade to the neck in the American Hockey League and passed away. in uh, England. Was, it was uh, in England. It was a minor league. It was a minor league game in England okay I thought it was I thought I read it was an AHL game um I I digress he, he got cut uh in the neck and so Mr. Pionk spoke at his celebration of life and ended up getting a goal and Dave I have to honestly say that uh these are the kinds of things that I kind of love to see in a situation where athletes are human they they have that moment of like I'm playing for something. I I have something weighted on my shoulder. And Mr. Pionk last night really was going through all the fields. And so I love to see that last night in the win with the Winnipeg Jets.
0: Yeah, those are the emotional moments in sports that uh, mean a little bit more than just a final score. There's uh, no doubt about it. Uh, Calgary Flames, they get the 4-2 win. Uh, It's been a rocky start to the season. You know that one feels good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The Calgary Flames outshot uh Nashville 17 to 6 and they were losing 2 nothing they ended up bouncing back and the final shots were 39 18 so this is good uh Nazem Kadri was also involved yesterday and the big story as I'm scrolling through my notes here was that Jonathan Huberdeau was benched for the first time since 2019 as he did not play a shift in the third period players and coaches say this has nothing to do with mr huberdo we just wanted to feel a little bit more energy coming from other guys so that was a bit of a story out of yesterday as well.
0: It has nothing to do with Jonathan Huberdeau, except he didn't play in the third period. I think that implies <laughs> there's something to do with uh, Jonathan Huberdeau. Uh, that contract is starting to look like an albatross. The uh, contract extension just kicked in this year. He's making, what, $10 million a year for the next seven years? Yes. Something, something in that vein. And if uh, you're already benching him and his production's been uh, woefully low uh, since he arrived in calgary uh that becomes a big big matter of concern the the, he, the flames are kind of stuck in neutral right now
1: he's only had 10 goals in the last calendar year Oof. so if we think Oof. about that that's Oof. a lot of money per each goal that he should be so, scoring he needs to produce way more than that in a in a calendar year i think this year he's only got like two or three uh so that just tells you how how tough the year has been for Mr. Huberto. But I I love the defense of, of him and sort of, well, it has nothing to do with it. And as you point out, uh, yeah, it sure does. <laughs> I, I think it definitely does when one of your highest paid players uh, sits
0: out an entire third period. And then, of course, the team responds, though. So there, there, there is something to be said about the team effort and uh, coaches being able to uh, send a message. That definitely that definitely means something. Uh, OK, Brock, one more note here. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, after what was a promising start to the year, or at least exceeding expectations, uh, appear to be coming back down to earth, which is not necessarily surprising, but uh, to be Giving up four goals in the first period of a home game—that uh, that, that never—that never feels good. Two nights in a row, the Tampa Bay Lightning scored four goals in the first period of a game, so uh, they're 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 eating something for breakfast. Their pregame snack is definitely working for the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it really is. I turned the game off after the beginning of the second period. I was kind of like, "Oh, I'm seeing not a lot from Montreal," and then was surprised when I woke up this morning and saw that it was. 5-3 uh, so they did have a little bit of a comeback Jake Allen just simply didn't have a good game at all um and that's think,
0: uh, Montreal's goaltender who got pulled after the first period
1: yeah, it was it was not a good game for the goaltending situation but again it was just not a good game all the way around if I could give sort of one shout out to Sean Monahan for the Montreal Canadiens is back and is leading the team in in goals, so maybe if he can stay healthy, he can push them along a little bit, but I think we're seeing the realness that is the Montreal Canadiens come back down to earth, until of course they play the Leafs on the 25th of November, and then it'll even better for the Montreal Canadiens but,
0: but, but, by the way totally fine for Montreal to be coming back down to earth the expectation was not to make the playoffs this year they're still in the middle of their rebuild they're probably on the precipice of ending the rebuild but this year is still definitely a, a rebuilding year like the like five of the six defensemen who play every day are under the age of 23 years old that <laughs> that is a young team that is a young team who's uh, finding their legs in this league Brock thank you for this have a great day talk to you tomorrow indeed you will That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, what are the marketing campaigns that work on you? What about nostalgia? Are people able to pluck that cord and pull that money out of your wallet? Well, Kevin Shaw will consider the effectiveness of nostalgia marketing. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back it's now with dave brown on ami tv companies are always trying to pluck your heartstrings and make you spend your money and they love trying to get you to relive cherished memories and they make some profit that that's why they do it here are a couple of examples of using nostalgia as a marketing ploy. You, I'm sure, have come across this McDonald's ad that is just loaded with pop culture references to the brand. I mean, there's stuff from Seinfeld, there's stuff from the movie Clerks. It's like non-stop. I want to say there's like 30 references or 40 references in a 30 second commercial. It, it, it's fantastic. It is so fantastic. Sort of speaking about where McDonald's lives in the cultural zeitgeist, Mountain Dew just created a YouTube episode hosted by the late Bob Ross of uh, painting fame, I suppose. And of course, the Barbie movie. Oh man, did it ever re-energize the sale of uh, Barbie dolls. So what are some of the mechanics of this tactic and, and why is it so effective? Kevin Shaw has some thoughts. Kevin is the host of Mind Your Own Business. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Morning, Dave. Kevin, I am not a robot. I am a hundred percent not immune to uh, nostalgic <laughs> marketing. Hence, the money I spent on Blink One Eighty Two tickets last year, and the money that I will spend to go see Green Day and Rancid next year to try and relive <laughs> my teenage years. But I why so. do you th- why do you think these marketing campaigns are so effective? Well,
10: I I, I, you're, I think you hit the nail on the head in your intro. Um, these companies want to tug at your heartstrings. We we tend to be nostalgic for uh, that time between, I would say, twelve and about eighteen or so. Uh, I, I think it actually has to do with the fact that our that our brains are still forming that that emotions, you know, our home hormones are all going crazy when we're teenagers, and and we just kind of gravitate back to that time in our lives when uh, things were a lot simpler and more innocent. And what these companies do is they capitalize on that to, uh, you know, go after a particular demographic and um, and then, you know, get them feeling those same emotions again by calling back to TV shows, calling back to movies, music, especially, uh, you know, that was there in their formative years
0: there's comfort in familiarity. There's this great meme going around that sort of uh, chronicles the life of someone and their love of music. And it starts with, this radio station is playing my favorite song. This bar is playing my favorite song. This restaurant is playing my favorite song this grocery store is playing my favorite song and and that's and, the, and that's a kind of thing exactly what you're saying right that we end up establishing these connections of familiarity that forever will link us to something like that and it's actually quite easy to pluck that string
10: you'd be surprised how much science there is that goes into nostalgia marketing um i mean they they not only look at look at age, but they look at, um, you know, cultural influences, they look at spending power, um, you know, they, they look at, at where you are sort of on the on the income ladder. I mean, that's why a lot of these stores and restaurants and bars and stuff are using the, that throwback music. It's to basically to get you to, to spend money.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm and, and listen you, you, the fact is that, that you talk about spending power and the aging of a demographic that's mm-hmm. that's why dr dre played the super bowl halftime show a couple of years ago because oh, oh because, for sure because because now people who are in their late 30s and early 40s those are the spending power demographics so the super bowl halftime show which is a giant commercial for pepsi is going to try and appeal to them
10: yeah oh of course uh
0: what about the flip side though kevin because sometimes there's a little bit of crassness to trying to utilize nostalgia even though there is that secret sauce there is a little bit of science what's the flip side when maybe this uh kind (laughs) of misses the mark and sinks to the bottom
10: well you know we all know about the cases where uh a company will try to invoke nostalgia and uh, maybe dig up a You know, a a long-forgotten celebrity, a long-forgotten musical icon, movie star, and something comes out, and they've had a checkered past. uh, That comes out. Of course, it wasn't there when when we were all younger and and you know listened to their music or whatever. But something comes out of the closet, and you know, it's a it's a skeleton, and all of a sudden, that nostalgic campaign a uh, scandal and I can really backfire really quickly on uh, <laughs> on brands
0: yeah, sometimes you dig up that old celebrity, and it turns out that old celebrity has uh, some some ideas that are uh, at least perceived as radical, or a history that uh, that you maybe you haven't considered. I think uh, Dr. Dre probably has a skeleton or two in his closet that uh, did not get explored <laughs> too widely before uh, before that halftime show. Uh, Kevin, I, I I'll say this as someone who's turning 40 this week. Like I'm turning 40 on Friday. Mm-hmm. These are nostalgic. Thank you. Thank you. Happy birthday. uh, I appreciate it. That was not me uh, fishing for happy birthday. It was me, (laughs) uh, of course, sort of setting up this thought. When I think about maybe the uh, backlash or the downside of nostalgia marketing, Mm -hmm. who, man, like there is the risk of maybe making your people feel a little bit too old, right? You might not actually be capturing that feeling of youth. You might be making them feel a little bit forlorn for the feeling of youth.
10: Yeah, uh, so there's that. And uh, you know, I definitely think that the, that this can backfire in the way that people might feel a little manipulated as well. Mm. Of like, hey, you knew this was big when when I was growing up, and uh, you know, i passed that phase of life and now you're trying to, you know, dig dig all this stuff up again. Um, you know, playing with people's emotions can be very tricky and it's uh I, I think it takes some You know, a lot of finessing to get it right. You've got to get the emotion right. You've got to get the, you know, the music right. You've got to get the, you know, the buy-in from the public correct otherwise it's uh you know it's just that one cog in the in the machine that that throws the whole thing off
0: <laughs> uh kevin i i'm i'm <laughs> I, I know i know that you're someone who's, who's who's a little more immune to these things than i are you're smarter than i you're, you're a little closer to that robot uh than me <laughs> but but i feel like come on there's got to be a nostalgia campaign that at least got you in your heart a little bit as well like, like what's one that that, that that jumps out to you
10: um, so I I was doing some I was doing some research on this over the past couple of days, and there was a um, there's a great campaign by Spotify that uh, used these uh, outdoor ads to uh, cater to their 35 to 44 uh, demographic. And there's one there's one spot. Uh, and on the left side of the ad it says 1983. UB40, red, red wine. And on the right side, it says 2018, UBE40, oh, no. red, red wine. <laughs> oh,
0: that's good. I like. And I
10: thought that was pretty clever. Um, there's also the big Wayne's World. Did you, did, did you see the Wayne's World comeback from the uh, Super Bowl yep. a few years back?
0: Yeah. Oh, man, the Super Bowl the commercials Wayne's- are all about nostalgia, all about nostalgia. Yes.
10: Yeah, I thought that was really well done.
0: <laughs> I, I remember this wasn't necessarily nostalgia per se, but it was a Coca-Cola ad from the turn of the millennium that, that didn't necessarily play on a specific nostalgic I, uh, uh act or person, but it explored this idea of three people taking a train after a concert and sharing a bottle of Coca Cola, and it was just sort of about. Uh, it was very like it was a very I feel infinite in this moment, and and I remember uh-huh. watching the commercial as a young person being like that's awesome, and I still think about that commercial to this day. Anytime I'm taking like the subway home from a concert or going home from a bar with my friends and like laughing and joking on the subway, and I'm like. Like, yeah, those are the moments where you did feel infinite. Yeah,
10: yeah. well, you you probably remember Toronto's uh, World Series win back in the back in the '90s, and uh, at the end of the game, there was that Coke commercial that ran right after they they um, you know the the Jays had won the World Series. And, uh, you know, that that's one that will always kind of s- stick in my mind, The mm. um, you know, the whole Coca-Cola song. Uh, Coca- always the real thing.
0: The, see, these are people who know how to make some advertisements. The people at Coca-Cola, <laughs> they uh, know what they're doing, no doubt about it. Hey, Kevin, thank you for this. And just before I say goodbye, New season, Mind Your Own Business, uh, dropping next Wednesday, November the 15th. Come on, man, you gotta be excited about season three hitting the airwaves. Season three. Yeah. Yeah.
10: I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I I think we've got a great season this year. I'm really proud of uh of what we've done. And uh hey, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing some some great feedback.
0: Right on. Well, that's Kevin Shaw. He's the host of Mind Your Own Business. Season three returns Wednesday, November the fifteenth, nine PM Eastern time on AMI TV or you can find episodes after they air at amiplus.ca, amiplus.ca. Coming up next, Microsoft is incorporating a virtual assistant called Copilot. In its most recent update of Windows 11, Marco Pasqua, Elizabeth Moeller, and I weigh in with our thoughts on this new feature. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Microsoft is incorporating more artificial intelligence features to Windows 11. The latest update features an integrated assistant called Copilot. I'm good at speaking. Copilot. Copilot. So there's some specific features for PC users. CoPilot will give you the ability to open apps, switch to dark mode, turn on Bluetooth, and give you some guidance on making a screenshot. There are going to be some features that coordinate with the Edge browser as well. You can ask CoPilot to come up with a summary of what's on a web page. Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller have thoughts on CoPilot and a smattering of other stories. Good morning, Marco. Good morning, Dave. And also saying hello to Elizabeth.
6: Good
0: morning, Dave. So I want to start this at the personal level. Marco, I talked about a couple of the features that are available there with Copilot. How would you see yourself using a feature like Copilot?
7: Well, I mean, doesn't everybody fantasize having their own personal assistant, Dave, right? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I think, like, you know, we've we've seen things in sci-fi movies for years now where they're able to to do tasks for you that we could only imagine or dream of. And I think that we're starting to get closer to that. Um, I would love to see the integration of Copilot because they're already using their Microsoft uh, Office 365. So it could help you with things like preparing uh, contracts or proposals, which I think is really cool. And it's starting to, like, push into the market of where Dragon, naturally speaking, used to do things where you could basically ask your computer to do something and if you had that software installed from an accessibility perspective it could open up programs for you and do all of those things so I think just the overall integration of how you conduct yourself in life or in business uh, with a little
0: bit of accessibility mixed in there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of these things where it's not necessarily explicit accessibility, but Elizabeth, that's why I talked about that feature that coordinates with Microsoft Edge, for example, that says, hey, give me a summary a summary of what this webpage says. It's a sensi- essentially like having a little bit of a screen reader friend. You know what?
9: It's true. A little help from our AI friends. Ends. but I, I think what i love about the summary piece and i would use it is sometimes websites are really cluttered and i just want to know what's on it but I have to go through links and i have to go through those hamburger menus and i have to go through those powerpoint slideshow things that are on the that are on sort of uh, carousels right so that would be really helpful just for me to know is this a, is this something i want to browse more deeply and then of course i would use my own technology and my own reading skills to go through the page but the summary i think can really help the other thing i loved was the bluetooth ability yes. because i find every computer update i'm going where is this thing where is dark mode where is bluetooth <laughs> so having an ability to say hey ai co-pilot friend or po-pilot if you're uh in, in the <laughs> brown sphere
10: <laughs>
9: you know turn that would be really helpful because i waste so much time doing that and the other thing for yep. me that's huge as a blind person is screen sh- screenshots like when people say can you take a screenshot half the time mind out blurry or my fingers are in them. So getting that guidance and I'm starting to see that with um, be my eyes that the AI feature be my AI, that for me is going to be a game changer.
0: You know, Marco, mm-hmm. I also found a lot of that interesting in terms of a broader implication. When you're talking about something like Copilot, just making it easier to engage and interact with your technology. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the same boat as Elizabeth, where I'm looking for like a little tab or a little nodule so to, do, to do something as simple as putting on a Bluetooth or trying to figure out a dark mode thing. When I think about sort of the ease of use and the ease of interaction, that really strikes me as a meaningful, broader implication of technology like this becoming more mainstream.
7: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, as they start to integrate more real uh, world sounding voices in the AI where it can communicate back to you audibly, I mean, you're actually going to feel as though you're you're, uh, interacting with some sort of being um, that over time can get to know you better. And I know that there's obviously, you know, things you want to be careful of when it comes to privacy and the information Mm -hmm. that you are feeding these large language models. But I really do think from an optimistic perspective, there's a lot of positive benefits with this technology. And for many people, to actually feel as though they have a friend or colleague that lives within their computer
0: that can support them (laughs) with these things is a really positive thing overall. Elizabeth, I think you started to allude to it already, but what are some of the broader implications with this kind of technology, this kind of artificial intelligence in terms of day-to-day technology?
9: Yeah, for sure, ease of use. It reminds me of a saying that, you know, everyone else is convenience is our accessibility and it's true so I think there's a big piece there but I think the the other piece is the affordability right and and Marco touched on it but like assistive technology, drag and dictate, uh, JAWS, whatever, is so expensive. So to be able to have this built in, that's a huge implication, not just for people with sight loss, but perhaps for people that are trying to test out to see, is this something I'd use? You don't want to buy a piece of software only to find out, nope, this isn't for me. So I think that's a huge implication, like just baking accessibility or baking this ease of use right in. And I think the other piece, um, you know, in terms of broader implications, is just thinking about, um, you know, how we navigate the web and making that a lot more list for everybody I think is is going to be really helpful. Yeah.
0: yeah. Marco, it always comes down to ease, right? Fundamentally, when you talk yes. about the, the the use case for any piece of technology, is this easy to use? Is this easy to understand? And now I've not taken Copilot for a test drive yet or a test flight, if you will, but, I, <laughs> but, but I'm actually considering updating my computer to Windows 11 yeah, just to give this a crack. Like I like Windows 10 quite a bit, but uh, I get sort of the daily ask from my computer, are you ready to update to Windows 11? <laughs> and something like this might actually get me to do that.
7: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, Dave. I've heard a lot of, you know, smatterings about how Windows 11 has some bugs or some things that they need to work out. And there was a lot of, you know, not malware, but definitely like ads and various things that are being pushed to you in Windows 11 that you're not experiencing with the previous versions of Windows, but... This is really smart for Microsoft's team in terms of getting people to adopt and kind of head over to Windows 11 to really see what it's all about. And I mean, they did a really smart thing by investing early in OpenAI uh, because it was really the go-to for AI when, when AI started to be really talked about in the mainstream. And, and I think that it is showing to be a very strong uh, you know, organization. They had their development conference just the other day. Um, they're opening up their market for uh, independent development developers to develop for uh open ai and gpt's that interact with windows uh, which are basically just programs that can interact and do other things like order pizza for you based oh, yeah. on just saying hey i want pepperoni <laughs> no whatever pineapple. like all of those things they they're actually creating a marketplace um i heard someone say this this is their iphone moment right now open ai mm-hmm. as basically yeah. this is their opportunity to create a whole new industry right. so it is
0: exciting and i'm looking forward to see what happens oh uh, okay you said the words in that answer invent- So let's turn to investing in infrastructure. The Ontario government is creating an infrastructure bank. The government is putting $3 billion up front into the fund. They're looking for other partners to pony up more dough to fund things like building long-term care homes and public transit. Finance Minister Peter Bethanfalvy lays out what kind of investors they're looking for. A new
2: arms-length agency, the bank, will leverage investments by public sector pension plans and other trusted institutional investors to help fund
0: large-scale infrastructure projects right across the province. So, Elizabeth, I'll lay this out. I'll lay my cards on the table. I think this is overall a goodish idea. I think infrastructure mm-hmm. banks do make some sense to maybe change a little bit of the procurement process and getting things funded and done quickly. But where I become a little bit concerned is the idea of a public pension plan putting dollars into something that might not actually have a ret- a, a real financial return on investment. There, there could be a societal return on investments, but I'm sorry, I wouldn't want my pension dollars going into something that's not guaranteed to actually make it money. That's me playing my cards on the table, right off the top, that's my premise. How would you feel about your pension dollars funding what would normally just be a government funded project?
9: yeah i think for me uh, i'm a bit of a fence sitter on the one hand if there was a possibility that there was a return on investment or that the pension would get some profit back great if not i agree it's concerning but also more broadly i have concerns with um you know pension funds uh, um, funding things like, for example, long-term care. I worry about, you know, um, the idea of privatization. So I, I do. I, I'm a little bit. I, I guess I'm a bit of a fence sitter on this one because I absolutely see some concerns. But where, you know, there was if there's a possibility that there is a good return on investment, that I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, Marco, I, I see where Elizabeth's coming from in terms of that that fence sitting because there's some morsels of a really good idea here, and I acknowledge yeah. an infrastructure deficit that exists. But when I think about pension, I think about security of those dollars, and and I I just don't know if actually just building long-term care homes is going to pay some kind of significant dividend to a pension plan.
7: And that's the thing, Dave. I mean, this this a little bit actually boils my blood because I think that as Canadians, we pay so much in taxes and various things already that we want to make sure that we have that security when we get older. And so I would be furious to know that my pension is you know, supporting to fund this because we were investing in ourselves to make sure that we have security and, and various things like this. And so, yes, if those dollars are being spent in the ways in which we're hoping they are, then absolutely that all makes sense. However, there's this is not the first time that uh, the government is misappropriating funds uh, or or making the wrong decisions. Uh, So, you know, that's where my concern comes in with both of you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's just a reasonable thing to say, right? That, like, you can't be messing around with people's money that's supposed to be secure, especially because things like building public transit, that's the government's responsibility, and it's always a boondoggle. Elizabeth, when was the Crosstown LRT supposed to open in Toronto? Like, 2016?
9: 20, 2016? Like, when is it
0: opening? Maybe next I, I, year. I have no, I, you
9: know what, yeah. I'll believe it when I see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, you how know, about that? So yeah, so how would I feel about my pension dollars being caught in that boondoggle right now? Don't like, don't have yeah,
9: time on this segment I, I, for you to
0: answer that question, Dave. Okay, okay. <laughs> let, 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 let's play this game a little bit, though. Elizabeth, I'm putting you in control of the infrastructure oh, bank. What's your priority? What do you want to build? What, what's Elizabeth Moeller wanting to build if you were the czar of infrastructure?
9: Oh my goodness! Um, you know, I will say if I if I was the czar, as much as I. Um... I worry about it. I think we, we absolutely do do need better and more long-term care homes, but mm. I think the devil would be in the details. How is it built and is it built in a way that's actually going to um, not be a for-profit situation where people's care needs aren't actually being met. So I would say that, but I would say that the devil would be in the details.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Marco, anyone who listens to this show on the regular will know my answer. It's going to be trains, 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 trains. No planes
9: on, and automobiles?
0: A limited pl- Planes limited automobiles. Trains, 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 trains. The the Windsor Quebec City corridor needs to be trained up in a big way with tons of high-speed rail. I even think there's a case to be made to connect Vancouver to the interior mainland in a more effective Mm. way. I know the Rocky Mountains get in the way and there's like ocean around your neck of the woods, which, you know, (laughs) makes things a little tricky. But trains, 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 even through the prairies. Like, why aren't we connecting Winnipeg to Edmonton in a way that doesn't take a day and a half to get there?
7: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I, first of all, I've always been a big believer that public transit should actually be uh, included with the taxes that we already pay. So I feel like anybody should be able to go onto a general bus or things like this. But, you know, trains for longer travel, like you're saying, 100% in terms of making sure that infrastructure is there. Um, now, if I was the czar, Dave, I would certainly say um, that we need more health infrastructure for public health yes. clinics because people are uh, lacking uh, when it comes to having uh, their mm-hmm. own independent mm-hmm. doctors. Uh, you already mentioned social housing, but we do have a housing crisis in this country uh, that individuals just need homes and we don't have enough building going on to sustain that, right? Um, Then I would look at our our energy and utilities uh, from the aspect of EV vehicles. We're being told that we all need to have EV vehicles and we don't have the grid to support that. So that would be 100% something that I would look into because honestly, I don't want to have our cities having brownouts across the country simply because our grid can't sustain that. Mm. And then lastly, I would look into things like broadband internet and fiber optics uh, in rural areas, because I feel that uh, access to the internet is a fundamental right for human beings at this point, uh, from an aspect of sustainability for jobs, employment, and elements like that. So
0: those are some areas that I would start with if I was the czar in, in this direction. Elizabeth, yeah. Elizabeth, you and I had good answers, but I think Marco is getting the job in that job interview. That was a good answer. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Marco's literally sitting back and flexing as he knows he knows how good that answer was. That's top tier.
7: Okay i'm just saying dave it's a wednesday i'm
0: feeling good feeling good on a wednesday okay guys one more thing not really a news story it's an observation uh christmas and the holiday season already out in full force commercials markets displays all that jazz all of it it's november the 8th it's november the 8th marco how early is too early for all this holiday spirits
7: right now no i'm just joking uh (laughs) Well, to be honest, in some areas, it's crazy how the uh, you know the mall industry of of the world uh, immediately, well, as soon as they get an opportunity, those decorations are going up, and it's uh, you know I, I, I like to steer away from the consumerism aspect of it, and if you want to. Uh, create settings in in shopping centers that are encouraging me to be more social with friends to grab cocos to grab my favorite seasonal drink I have no problem with that but the real push uh, for consumerism I've always had an issue with although I don't mind some of the deals that we used to see on things like Black Friday Mm. um, you know that Mm -hmm. we get crossover from from the states Um, the deals can be good but it's no longer the thing that I suggest anyone wait hours on end in massive lineups for um, and that's why they invent it's Cyber Monday as well so when it comes to Christmas and things I'm all for Christmas but I think that it it becomes all a bit too much uh, when you come in super super early but I I, I do like the feeling it gives you
0: I I like that you mentioned Black Friday Marco I was watching American college football over the weekend and uh, Black Friday sale starts this Wednesday like today (laughs) November the 8th they're already doing Black Friday I'm like you guys missed the memo Friday is in the name you can't do it on Wednesday November the 8th it was like some major electronics (laughs) retailer i'm like that's absurd Uh, elizabeth i know i come off as a little bit of a grinch when i bring this topic to the table but how early is too early for all the holidays
9: you know i
2: uh,
9: (laughs) it's all good i i feel like it's disrespectful to do it before remembrance day that's that's a me thing Mm -hmm. i think that there needs to be some time in between halloween and um remembrance day to reflect and i think that we don't do that enough um and i especially with what's going on in the world now i feel very strongly that that needs to have that space um I'm not a purist I wouldn't say wait till December 1st but I, I feel like I said very strongly about Remembrance Day um having some space and I also feel like we need better sort of cross holiday jingles and happiness it's all very sort of <laughs> hegemonic around Christmas and I'm, mm. I'm all for Christmas but I'm also very aware I have lots of friends that aren't and it, it actually can feel quite exclusionary like even everything from the malls having the Santas and the Christmas trees and the blah 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 so I I do think not only do we perhaps need to wait a little bit before but we need to really think about how we're promoting the holiday season in a more inclusive way
0: after the show elizabeth remind me to uh, send you an email with a few of my favorite hanukkah songs because there are a couple oh, please there, do. there are a couple really good ones uh, growing up in english montreal i uh, i spent quite a few time uh, quite a bit of time at hanukkah dinners and absolutely loved it hey marco elizabeth thank you both for this marco have a great day out there in vancouver you as well and elizabeth you're also in bc have a great day in victoria i will do Look at this, the Pacific time zone. Marco Pasqua is the co-founder of Meaningful Access Consulting. Elizabeth Moller is the founder of EM Disability Consulting. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe has questions all about olive oil. A rash of oil thefts? Is that what's going on? Oh my gosh. Olive oil thefts. Thievery with Alex Smythe on Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI. Kelly and Ramya hit the airwaves. Ramya Hamilton is the co-host of that show and can give you just a taste of what's coming up today. Good morning, Ramya.
8: Good morning, Dave. Yes, we have a Wednesday lineup for you. That includes business chat with uh, Kevin Shaw. Did Kevin Shaw come on your show
0: He was on the show today. Yeah, we were talking about nostalgia marketing.
8: No, yes, exactly. That was supposed to be an interesting conversation for you guys. Uh, we are talking about um, continuing to talk about etiquette in the workplace, but today we're talking <laughs> digital etiquette, so that's going to be interesting. And also, we're um, t- shouting out a trivia night that's happening at Winnipeg. The vi- The proceeds are going to Vision Impaired Research Network, so we're talking to oh, Mike about that. Right yeah, on. it's going to be good. And we just uh, passed uh, Dia de Muertos, which is Day of the Dead in Mexico. And J.J. Hunt, our favorite audio describer, is out there right now. He's going to describe exactly what's going on. I've got some sneak peeks of exactly what the festivities are like over there. And it's quite interesting. Oh, colorful, colorful and
0: interesting. Uh, Office etiquette, Ramya. I'll tell you a real quick story here. I'm going to leave names out of this, even though these are not AMI employees. Uh, This is one of my old workplaces. There was someone who was notorious for going into the fridge and eating other people's lunches. Like she would just open up the fridge and eat somebody else's lunch. And it wasn't like she did it once or twice. Like it happened multiple times to the point that like a memo and disciplinary action needed to be taken. Oh, my
8: God. These are like full adults um do you know if she was telling people she was gonna eat their lunch or said sorry afterwards
0: she 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 wouldn't even like, was it like she a, wouldn't even admit guilt she so would was just like she, yeah she wouldn't even acknowledge it she was going to the fridge Would and you s- walk
8: into the kitchen and just find her eating your lunch <laughs>
0: well I didn't bring my lunch I uh, oh. I, I worked I worked from uh, 4 a.m. till uh, 10 a.m so my lunch my lunch was always safe my lunch was always safe but I she but didn't I' come in for breakfast no today, well it. thank goodness I would have been very upset if she ate my blueberries uh, Ramyette Stay right there. Alex Smythe also has a little bit of a food topic here. But Alex, this requires a little bit of setup.
5: Uh, Dave, so there's been a surge in thefts involving not only olives, but olive oil and uh, manufacturing and extraction equipment around the olive oil uh, process in Europe. So this is all due to the high demand, the, the high uh, cost, uh, the value of olive oil, let, coupled with the fact that there has been a shortage in olives in recent years. So needless to say, producers are in a precarious spot and Ed Donahue presses out this report prices
3: for olive oil have tripled since 2019. Cases of warehouse break-ins, accounting scams, and oil tampering are on the rise in the olive-growing heartlands of Greece, Spain, and Italy. Gangs are using chainsaws to hack off olive tree branches and cutting down entire trees at unguarded groves. Grower Konstantinos Marku has been a victim. He says it's a felony. You are killing our own history here. Olive growers are already battling high production costs and the impact of climate change. Milos Papakristou has been a victim of the chainsaw robbers.
0: Hey, what is with them? He,
3: he says, uh, "I believe the production will not be enough for our needs." In Italy, tractors and expensive equipment have been stolen along with the olives. I'm Ed Donahue.
5: Yeah. So, needless to say, you know, it's not only are they stealing; they're literally cutting the olive uh, trees out of the uh, out of the ground and taking it with them. So. This got me kind of thinking, like, what is everybody's olive oil usage like? Is it kind of your go-to oil Mm. when you're cooking or in the kitchen? Mm. So, uh, Ramiya, we'll start with you. What's your olive oil usage like at home?
8: I love olive oil, Alex. This is uh, my, one of my cupboards is just full of different olive oils and oh. vinegars. I know. And uh, proper sesame oils. Um, there's a, the, the olive oil company here in Ontario. I don't know how many locations they have, but it's so lovely. They make great olive oil. Uh, there are all kinds of infusions that you can experiment with. And that's because rumbi- I like rumbi- sh- olive sh- oil. Sh- shout them yes. out. Shout them out.
0: Shout them out. Like give them, oh. give them the plug.
8: Yes, it, that's what they're called. It's literally called the Olive Oil Company.
0: Oh, okay. All right, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know.
8: Yeah, it's very easy for you to remember. Just Google it. Um, but honestly, the the thing is, I love using olive oil, like very good olive oil, uh, raw. So, you know, dipping your uh, breads in or use, doing olive oil vinaigrette mixes oh or salads. Oh, that's my favorite. That's my absolute favorite. And then um, also using it to marinate meats and marinate vegetables. I toss a lot of stuff in the air fryer. So I look for oils that aren't gonna like low smoke point right olive oil has a very a decently low smoke point but if you put it on your cast iron skillet you got to pay much attention because or else i've been there done that right oh my gosh oh my gosh going up. yeah so air fryer life means that you can toss in things with olive oil without having to worry too much uh and keep that temperature nice so anyways that's just details but i love olive oil
0: uh, okay, that was not the answer I was anticipating. <laughs> that, that's like a, that's a very insightful and maybe a little bit uh, bourgeois answer by uh, Rama <laughs> no, uh, uh Now, Alex, if you went into my kitchen right now, you would find a small bottle of olive oil because it was on sale the last time I went to the store. But if that's I'm, a virgin? Uh, uh, I i do not believe so. I think it's just regular old, regular old olive oil. But Alex, my policy tends to be I'll buy what's on sale, but I just don't cook with a lot of. oil. Oil. I, I just don't I just don't use a lot of oil when I cook.
5: Interesting, interesting. I use it pretty much like almost every single meal. The fine pans coming out a bit of olive oil in the pan. I use it and I, it's one of those things I was thinking when I heard this story, it's like, do I really prefer olive oil over any other type of oil? I, I don't really think so. Like, yes, I'm always getting these quote-unquote extra virgin olive oils i don't know if they're extra virgin olive oil or not you know oh you've got to be very
0: you've got to be very careful about that because they can put it on the bottle but there's actually some real sourcing uh Mm -hmm. sourcing questions for it to truly be extra virgin olive oil
5: exactly so i i don't know all the familiarities the ins and outs with all the uh, all the intricacies of it but i've just naturally always gotten olive oil whether it's just been you know it's always been promoted as oh this is like one of the best ones to cook with Ramya, you did mention the low smoke point of it, but it's the flavor, it's rather neutral. It's, it's nice for cooking and the properties of how it operates is always very good. But I don't know if it's like, you know, if i made a change to more like a canola or, or, or another type of oil, would I really notice the difference? Probably not. So I, I think it's just out of habit is why I'm always reaching for olive oil because it always seems to be most prominent
0: when you're in the grocery store anyway. Have you ever tried the uh, avocado oil, Alex? That seems to be one of the ones that the fitness gurus are all about these days, the avocado oil.
5: I'm I'm surprised, Dave, considering the fact that you just said uh, you you always go for whatever's on sale. I feel like avocado oil is one of the more expensive ones, at least from what I've seen. They're usually, if you want to talk about bougie uh, uh, oils, that one always seems to be that, and truffle oil seems to be like the big fancy oil. So I've I've never reached for that myself. I usually it's like oh olive oil's cheaper. Oh,
0: I, I believe I, I'm not asking that question from personal experience. I'm simply <laughs> asking the question because it's in the zeitgeist. Uh, Ramya, yeah. you've got your big oil your big oil cabinet. It, any, any avocado oil in there?
8: No, no, I can't afford avocado oil. I'm not even willing to give it a try. I know that it's one of the more neutral oils, as well as as you said, Alex. But Eh. Uh, but I do guys, I really think that you can tell the difference between oils. If you uh, grew up eating like in my house, my mom <laughs> used a lot of vegetable oil. Look like at just any vegetable. She can find whatever giant canisters. Whoa. It was really bad. And so many fried foods. But um, <laughs> when she moved over to sesame oil or like on special occasions, quote, we would cook with sesame oil and you can really tell the difference in the food. So, uh, and then coconut oil is another one. Yeah, oh yeah. Many I mean, on know, this note,
0: in, 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 in <laughs> yeah in a different world this whole segment would have been power ranking oils but there's no time for that let's uh, slip off into the ether rumya alex thank you that's all the time there is for the show today don't worry don't worry now with dave brown's coming back tomorrow not going anywhere i didn't say anything fireable today 9 a.m eastern time it kicks off on ami tv i'll be here will you until then i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun